Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. All right. It is time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Morning, Keith. Good morning. Welcome back. How was your fishing? It was great. Thanks. Yeah, I was. Uh, I got out to the Kootenays with my son and we were out there fishing for a couple of days near Cranbrook and mm-hmm. uh, it was awesome. Man. Was How many fish beautiful. did you catch? We caught a lot. We caught a lot of very beautiful cutthroat trout, um, West Slope cutthroat trout, which is a sort of a unique subspecies of trout. But I'm going to start geeking out here on different <laughs> yeah. trout species. They're beautiful fish. And uh, very well-managed fishery, tons of fish, very healthy river, St. Mary's River. Let, yeah. let the listeners know that your fabulously plush office is resplendent with photos of you and your sons with fish. Yeah, it was my happy place. You know what I mean? <laughs> Except when I'm talking to you. Hey, you're back to work now. Place. Okay, back to reality. Back to... Okay. So let's start with the public sector strike going on in BC. DCGU. So this is really, it, this is hitting the bars and pubs more than anybody. More than anyone. I mean, it's not like the average individual, you're limited to three bottles of wine, of one particular variety. It's not, not hardly a hardship. But for restaurants and pubs who yeah. buy in bulk, uh, this is becoming uh, a bigger issue. And r- right now, I don't think it's uh, – just checked with a couple of restaurants actually yesterday in, in the capital region. They're not at the tipping point yet, but they say in a week or so. Could be. Could be it could be where they cannot serve um, the the wishes of the patrons in terms of wine and, and spirits. Beer is yeah. exempted, of course, because it flows differently. But uh, um, Draft beer, you mean? No, and and cases of beers, my okay, understanding, that's there's, not, there's no that's limit. The there's no limit okay. in the in the liquor stores to that. It's just you cannot get more than three of a particular variety of wine or hard spirits. Okay, but again, the average individual, you're not drinking three bottles of wine a night, but uh, restaurants are serving more than three bottles of wine a day uh, of a particular variety. So, but now today, the GU announcing that uh, the next step they're taking is a ban on non-emergency overtime yep. for their members. Um, this will have a bit of an impact on uh, the employer, one would think. And they do this, uh, this will be done in phases. I'm not sure this is phase two, but it is a different, it is an escalation. But we haven't seen the point yet where it's a full-scale walkout by 30,000 members. And I, I still think Labor Day is the jumping-off point for getting things getting really serious. Uh, and I don't expect talks to resume necessarily this week. I think uh, both sides want to put a little more pressure on each other. Okay, let's have a listen to Stephanie Smith here, president of the BC General Employees Union. She was my first guest on the show this morning, and here she is talking about the uh, the status of negotiations right now. Have a listen to this. It's now been a week today as of 3.30 this afternoon. It will be exactly one week that we've been on strike. It has been deafening silence and disappointing silence from not just the NDP government, but every single MLA. No one has said a word. And as I said, government has the capacity and the ability to end this strike very quickly. Your thoughts? Well, first of all, you're not going to hear anything from an MLA. That's not how this works. MLAs do not break with their government on issues. If they do, they're no longer members of the caucus. So I've never seen an MLA uh, speak out against the government's bargaining position. You do have uh, an NDP leadership candidate speaking out against the government's uh, bargaining position, but that's completely different than an MLA. But Stephanie's just correct in that we have not heard anything from the employer yet in terms of returning to the table. Um, They're actually not hugely apart 
um, the the BCG is looking for five and five plus a cost of living, and the cost of inflation rate has declined since they broke off talks by a full point. Uh, the government's offering eleven percent over three years and a signing bonus with a tiny bit of a cola in the in the third year of the agreement. So it's not a huge gap, but it's still a gap. And it's going to take some time to close that gap, but I'm not sure we're going to see talks before Labor Day. Where is the public? A lot of this is obviously it's a contest between an employer and and a, and, a, and man, management and, and workers, but it's also a battle for the hearts and minds of the public, right? So there's a PR effort underway, certainly by the union, to get the public on side. Where do you, where do you sort of see the public breaking on this? Do you think there's a, a lot of support for the union right now? I see the public on vacation right now. It's uh, traditionally August is a hard time to get the public's attention on many things because people are not necessarily working. They're vacationing. They're campsites. They're not paying attention to the news. Um, You know, newscast audiences are lower in August. Newspaper readers are lower in in August. It's really Labor Day is a pivotal day for many things. It's return to school and it's return to work. And it's returned to paying attention to things. So I don't think the public's necessarily engaged. Although someone sent me the transcript from your fill-in host last week who opened the phones. And it was, uh, I know you had sort of an even split today. Yeah. But last week, a couple of days, was almost all anti, anti-GU uh, callers. But I'm not sure what? Where the, whether that's reflected with the public. I think we won't know until after Labor Day, until liquor stores close. And you actually do not have access to their, their product. That's when you're going to see the public focus. What is the potential for this to escalate maybe to that point or maybe even beyond? I mean, this is just one union that's gone mm-hmm. on strike here. There are several other public sector unions at the bargaining table. Could this expand into a much oh, yeah. wider dispute? 183 contracts, 400,000 employees, unionized employees, 390,000 unionized employees. Uh, you've got the nurses have yet to start bargaining. The BCTF had, I think, three days of bargaining last week. They're not in position to take imminent job action, but the TF has been one union that's been willing to go on strike. Uh, you can not discount that happening in the school year. But I still think what I um, thought was interesting, I've done a couple of reports on this, the hospital employees union, the day the GEU served strike notice, released a letter to its own members saying that they had made significant momentum at the bargaining table, okay. that they were making uh, very good progress. And keep in mind what the GU is being offered is basically what the HEU was being offered, um, though that has not been confirmed yet. So the HEU is viewing the, the, the offer on the table in much more favorable terms than the GEU was. So if this gets to the point where HEU talks resume, talks for them are suspended while the GU is on um, job action. But if they resume talks and sign a deal... That will put tremendous pressure on the GU to take a second look at what's on the table. Let's talk about the B.C. Liberal Party here and this move by B.C. Liberal Party leader Kevin Falcon to eject one of his own MLAs mm-hmm. from the caucus, John Rustad. And Rustad says he's not a climate change denier. He says he does believe that human activity is causing climate change. But, I mean, you wouldn't guess that by some of his social media yeah, he posts so, he posts and retweets very controversial claims, people denying climate change. I just ran into John Rustad literally a few minutes ago here in the legislature. Uh, he's looking for a new office because he cannot sit in his caucus office anymore. So he's trying to figure out where in this building he's going to be able to have an office, whether he gets staff, this sort of thing. No, so his position is he's not. He says he's not against. He's not denying that climate change is a reality. He questions whether the moves to combat climate change are realistic 
or effective. He also seems to question the severity of it, too. So the, the yep. tipping point here, the final Patrick straw for Moore, Falcon. Uh, yeah, he, he retweeted this tweet that said there's been no net warming in Australia for the past 10 years. There was a study about the Great Barrier Reef in Australia has more cor- coral cover recorded this year. So and then the hashtag celebrate CO2. So, you know, this is a kind of. He's, but then he, in the, in the same breath, he says, well, I'm not denying it, but I guess he's trying to say it's not as severe as people think or there's a, there should be a mitigation well, seems to, seems emphasis to be from, instead. Or I've not had that conversation with him. But no. uh, I also think this is Kevin Falcon trying to show a different t- style of leadership than his predecessor, Andrew Wilkinson, who found himself bedeviled sometimes by ca- caucus members' no. positions on issues. Well, and- let's listen to Falcon here. At first, Falcon appeared to kind of tolerate the guy. He just said, but he doesn't speak for us on climate change issues. Then, a couple of days later, he kicked him out of caucus. So here is Kevin Falcon, the liberal leader, talking about his former MLA, John Rustad here. It's not good enough to just be out there posting stuff that you haven't fully thought through or that is totally contrary to the positions we've taken as a party i.e. we do believe climate change is real and we're going to be leaders in making sure we deal with it. Well, there is going to be absolute opportunities for diversity of opinion within our caucus. We are going to be disciplined on messaging when we're speaking to the public at large. Your thoughts? Well, kicking out a, a member out of caucus is a pretty big deal. Yeah. This does not happen very often. Carol James kicked Bob Simpson out of the NDP caucus in opposition, and that, that eventually led to her takedown by caucus members. Uh, I'm not. I don't think that's going to happen with Kevin Falcon here. But I do think this is also Falcon trying to display a tougher form of leadership, and also uh, a much clearer uh, position on some issues that are going to come to the fore in the next election campaign. So John Rustad, now an independent MLA in the legislature, I see he's not shutting up either. I'm just checking his Twitter feeds. So last night he posted an article, the headline: "There is no climate emergency." So, so he continues to kind of speak out on that. Again, I think Falcon's trying to um, regroup the BC Liberals into an urban party. Right now, they're very, very low uh, representation in urban areas. They're very much a rural party where climate change deniers are much more prevalent. When you get outside Metro Vancouver in the capital region, um, climate change doesn't seem to be as big an issue as it is in the urban areas. And I think Falcon's trying to reposition his party to reclaim some seats in Metro Vancouver, because if you can't win in Metro Vancouver, you're not going to form government in this province. Real quickly, Troy Clifford, president of the paramedics union, represents the ambulance paramedics on, on the Simi Sarah show this morning, talking about some of the brutal ambulance shortages mm-hmm. and, and that we're seeing the last few days. Here he is. Climate change is real. It, there is an issue. and, and- The lower mainland becomes considerably uh, more challenged because of the larger population and higher call volumes. So I know that overnight, uh, again, the Fraser Valley, Chilliwack, Abbotsford, uh, Mission, uh, Maple Ridge, and even into Langley and and, and that were really short-staffed, but it, it was across the metro area. How big a problem is this right now? Oh, I think it's a big problem. Uh, you got a couple of things. One is a record level of demands for service for healthcare amongst British Columbians. We've got 100,000 people have moved here in the last little more than a year. Um, so the demands for services at an all-time high. The delivery of service is an all-time high, but it's not keeping pace with the demand. On top of that, you've got the staff shortage problem, which is not confined to paramedics. It's everywhere. BC Ferries canceled a number of sailings yeah. over the weekend yeah. because of staff shortages. It's happening in all sorts of sectors. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. 
and they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Let's go right to your phone calls. We got Greg on the line in Vancouver. Hi, Greg, go ahead. Hi, Mike. Um, Clarifying, this is probably going to be the most controversial thing I've ever said to you or on the air. However, I had to take my daughter into RCA, and she's five, and and it seemed like there was, she got put ahead of a whole lot of people, uh, much older, much with probably much more worrisome ailments. Um, And I'm almost thinking, is that need to be a discussion that we start going ahead with our with our healthcare system, as we're in a crisis with it, once things are alleviated, I could see it changing. But for right now, do we need to start triaging people who actually have a fair amount of life ahead of them versus a lot of the older generations who at this point, you know, we're keeping comfortable? Okay, let me get this straight. So you took your daughter to Royal Columbian Hospital, is that correct? Yes, I had to take yeah. her. She, she had a, a terrible, terrible virus. She was throwing up like crazy. And we were in, like I took her to emergency. Emergency was full. And we were in in 15 minutes. And they took her into the trauma ward um, versus, I mean, there was a lot of people mm-hmm. there of all ages. And some of them were, they looked hurting, but they were old. <laughs> You know, like okay, so you were so you were surprised. So you were surprised your daughter got quicker treatment than these other people. Then, yeah, all right. I, I, yeah, was, okay. I was stunned by it. Okay, Keith, well, your thoughts. Triaging goes on all the time. Well, yeah, in in emergency wards, that's yeah. that's the basic core of. I mean, they must have thought this kid there was kids in the kid was trouble. in trouble yeah. in, in trauma. Uh, yeah. uh, there's some people who go to emergency wards because they can't access the medical system in any other way other than going to an emergency ward, and that's what's happening right now. Is I've got colleagues at Global have talked about. They're in the emergency ward with their kids, and there are many people in that emergency ward. You think, why are you here? But because they don't have a family doctor, they don't have a way to access. They can't get into a walk-in. They can't get into a clinic, so they go to the emergency ward. So of course, if a child comes in and throwing up and and high fever, they're going to get treated pretty much quicker than someone who comes in because they have a a sore wrist. I imagine that whoever made that decision at the hospital would have said that this young girl was triaged, yes. and they probably yep. decided she warranted quicker attention. But James in White Rock. Hi, James, go ahead. Hi, guys. Thanks for taking my call. I'm just kind of curious why the narrative is all on the BCGEU when it comes to this restaurant thing. Why isn't it ever discussed about the fact that the provincial government's got a monopoly on distribution in this province, and if they allowed some private uh, distributors to come into the play, this wouldn't be an issue for the restaurants. Okay, well, that's, that point's been raised before. Why is the liquor distribution branch the liquor distribution branch? Privatize why, it. Why not have more liquor distribution branches and not all in the public? Didn't the liberals sense? think about privatizing they it did. and they backed off? They backed off. Yeah. Um, privatizing things have always been kicked around, whether it's ICBC or other other services, and governments of the day always seem to back away from it. Yeah, I recall the liberals went pretty far down the road of privatizing liquor, and then they... They chickened out on it. They, they, did, they did expand the the number of private outlets, yeah. but the actual distribution is still in the hands of the public yeah. uh, util, uh, corporation. Rick and Port Moody. Hi, Rick. Go ahead. Hi, gentlemen. Welcome back from your holidays. Uh, you know, the John Runstead uh, uh, fiasco has kind of brought up the point that maybe uh, this might be a good example or a good uh, case for, for a debate that you might want to have. Um, 
Uh, Mike, but I, I am I am confused with with the numbers. I've got some friends that are geologists, and, and they're kind of chill about it, uh, you know, because they keep referring back to and they're showing me the graphs, you know, of how the Earth has heated up every hundred thousand years, and there's been you know, a climate or the caps have melted, and there's been flooding and and extinctions occurring long before we've ever been around. So I, I took the numbers from. Um, Sir Richard Attenborough during the COP24 conference, I took his, his keynote speech and I looked at it and I did a comparison between where the earth actually uh, throws uh, greenhouse gases into, into the climate. Okay, okay. I'm, not, I'm, not cut, I'm not cutting you off or trying to shut you down. It's just that we're up against the clock and we got 30 seconds. What do you, I think uh, the thing to keep an eye on with Rustad is you know, climate change is one thing. What does he do? He's going to sit as an independent. I just talked to him. Well, I said, would you sit as a conservative? Oh, okay. Now, and, now would he join no, the Conservative no, he's going to sit as an independent. However, he is talking to Aaron Gunn Uh-oh, yeah. of the Conservative Party. Uh, it's uh, it's going to be all he needs is one more MLA to quit the Liberals to form official party status. And it's interesting, the Conservatives are running a candidate in Sur- Surrey South. Yeah. Keep an eye on that. That's going to hurt the Liberals potentially.